You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Out in the cold, out in the dark, something's lurking at the edge of the park. People be warned, people beware. There's a storm on the rise and it's covered in hair. Hear him cry, hear him howl. Looking for someone to disembowel. Claws like a hook, eyes like coal. Feet so big they're gonna crush your soul. They call him Sasquatch. This is Yowie Central. Welcome to the show. You're on 94.9 Main FM and you're with Sarah Bignall. This is the community radio show where we bring you the latest on Yowie Research in Australia and we delve into the vast and fascinating realm of Bigfoot, Sasquatch and cryptozoology from here and around the world. We go into all sorts of weird stuff, paranormal encounters and UFO sightings too. Don't forget, this is a community radio show, which means you're all part of this Yowie Central and Main FM community. You're all welcome to contact me if you've had a Yowie encounter or you've had freaky experiences in the bush with orbs, min-min lights, UFOs or anything else kooky and spooky. Get in touch with me via yowiecentral at gmail.com or via the Yowie Central Facebook group if you have a story to share. A very exciting show planned for you this week, people. First up, I have the great honour of welcoming Brent Thomas of the excellent American podcast Paranormal Portal to the show. Brent is the multi-talented creator, producer and presenter of Paranormal Portal, which has a huge following in the US. After that, we're going to check out a cracker of a witness interview I did for Australian Yowie Research from near Wollamumbi in New South Wales. But first, check out my fascinating chat with Brent Thomas. (laughs) 
Brent Thomas, welcome to Yowie Central. It's so lovely to have you on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm just honoured to be here. Uh, I want to share all about your podcast with my listeners here in in Australia. Uh, it's called Paranormal Portal. Can you give give the listeners a little bit of a summary of what goes on in your amazing show? <laughs> well, you know, I don't always know what's going on on my show, but I, I um, we talk about all the things uh, paranormal, and uh, oftentimes people are equating paranormal with just ghosts, but it's it's ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, uh, strange uh, um, phenomena, and uh, you know we run the full the full spectrum of of things that we discuss. And I, I, you know, I've been a big fan of this my whole life. So it's like, you know, it's, it's really fun and it's amazing to have an opportunity to meet so many people that have been through all these incredible experiences and just kind of see their experiences through their eyes. So we, you know, we just talk about it all. And sometimes we just talk about phenomena. Sometimes I'll have guests on that have had experiences. Sometimes, uh, you know, we'll go into a specific, uh, you know, uh, historical uh, something or other that might have happened. We haven't done a lot of that because, uh, you know, I know there's a lot of people out there doing that. But I just like to I like to have discussions about this stuff because the paranormal to me is not where reality goes sideways. I think the paranormal to me is like showing the truth, fluid and dynamic nature of the reality we live in. It's just we're just so programmed to three dimensions and Monday through Fridays and weekends and, and you know, we just have this tunnel vision. But when that stuff happens, it really resets people's paradigm and causes them to go, wait a minute, you know, and, and everything changes. And so I love that about it and I love that it creates ma- mystery and magic in the world and, and that there's all kinds of discovery left for us. Oh, I'm so with you on that one. <laughs> what what stemmed your passion in in the unexplained, mysterious, paranormal, scary stuff? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, it, it, I didn't really have any catalyzing initial experience that kind of spurned this for me. I just don't remember a time where I wasn't interested in it. I don't remember ever not being excited by the ideas of ghosts or, or UFOs. To, to me, it's just always been fascinating. And, you know, I grew up in a small town in the Midwest in the USA and, and uh, you know, well before the <laughs> well before the Internet. So uh, I remember being a little, you know, uh, eight, nine, ten year old going to the public library, which is a pretty small library and going and searching and finding the ghost books and paging through them and finding, you know, books about the Bermuda Triangle and Loch Ness Monster and even movie monsters. I used to love the movie monsters like the the Boris Karloff, the Bela Lugosi, uh, you know, the Lon Chaney era of monsters. Uh, I was just fascinated by it. And of course, of course, there's Godzilla. I love Godzilla. So uh, it was like, you know, I've always been a dreamer. And I think I think that the paranormal just keeps that magic alive in me, you know, that that's childhood fascination. It just kind of allowed me to hang on to that, that beauty. So how did you get from, how did you, how did you turn that passion into a, a radio show? And from, by the looks of it, you do so many hours of content per week. I have no idea how you keep up with all of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's hours. Like you do three shows a week or something, don't you? We do um, five live streams on YouTube a week and then uh, uh, at least one podcast a week. Wow. So there's, you know, six, uh, well, two of the, two of the, 
two, no, three of the live streams are two hours. So it's two, four, six, seven, eight, nine or 10 hours of, of content every week that we're turning out. But, you know, the, again, there's, it's kind of funny, but it, it really just kind of came to me as an afterthought. Uh, and it was just in the right place at the right time as far as starting a show. Because I started out with uh, uh, working in a company, and uh, there was a contractor for the company that contracted IT uh, work, and his name is Chris Geo. Well, it turns out he also owned and, and founded Truth Frequency Radio. And so he and I got to talking, and then all of a sudden it just dawned on me. Hey, I want to do a show. I want to do. <laughs> I want to do a show. Now the interesting part is, and this is you know kind of how I believe in fate or destiny or whatever is that the idea came fully formed. It's like I opened my mouth and I said, I want to do a show called Paranormal. It's going to be this, 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 this. <laughs> and even after I said it, I was like, Wow, where'd that come from? And and that and he's like, You know what? I love it. Let's do it. And so I started out just doing internet radio on uh, Truth Frequency Radio Network or TFR Live. Uh, you can find that at tfrlive.com. But, um, you know, and it started there. And then I thought, I really want to start to tap into the streaming essence of it because I like the idea of, of the, the listeners being able to, you know, be a part of the production more. You know, I love radio. And, and when we all, we all need radio when you're, you know, preoccupied doing other things or podcasts. But the podcast didn't come from till much, much later. But I just like the idea of, of kind of getting together with these listeners out there, you know, having a dialogue through the chat and, you know, and having the phone calls being an option as well. And so I just started doing it and it kind of just kept spiderwebbing into what we have today. Do you have a, do you have a team, a production team? I know you have Don Longbeard as, as co-host. Is he part of the production team as well? Don does, uh, he, he does produce the, the uh, podcast episodes. Um, and then he comes in uh, for Wednesday and Saturday shows for the live streams. But other than that, it's just me. So I'm like, uh, he also will occasionally reach out and make contact with, uh, you know, someone that may may be available to be interviewed for the shows. But for the most part, it's just me. Wow. <laughs> you must be a very busy man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that a five-year-old, I'm telling you. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> that, that is intense. That's hectic. So... You've got a call-in show. I was listening the other, I was listening last night actually to to one of your shows. What can oh. what can go wrong or right? <laughs> actually first, what can go wrong with a dial-in show, with a call-in show? You know, the biggest thing that I struggle with and it's cuz cuz I, I like to hear people's stories but and I also don't like to to butt in, but the only thing that can really go wrong is when somebody has the opportunity to have this dialogue and it's not that it's really wrong. It's just that they're excited to talk about it. Finally, like I come across so many people that have lived their lifetimes carrying this stuff around and finally they got the vent and they just roll. And, and I, honest to God, you know, on a call in, they could eat up the entire rest of the show. So, so <laughs> the biggest thing I had to learn was how to time those so that it wasn't just, you know, I mean, I'm happy to have one person for a show, if that's what the schedule is, or that's what we have planned out, but uh, some people just are, are just so anxious to keep sharing more and more and more and asking questions, and and it would just take up a whole episode all by itself. So the the one thing being a host that I had to learn how to do is how to how to pace those and how to make it natural, and not rude, like hey hey stop, you know we can't talk anymore. <laughs> <laughs> out of time <laughs> so yeah, I, you know, tap your watch going tick tock <laughs> yeah. i had to learn 
to do that in a in a gentle, kind way. And and you know, oftentimes if somebody calls in and all of a sudden they just got a whole bucket full of things to share, I'll just say, you know what? What we need to do is schedule you to come on the podcast and you know let you share your story and what you've seen. And and most people are very gracious to do that. So it's kind of in many ways it's two birds with one stone. But for the most part. You know, the other the other <laughs> the other liability of it is you'll be talking about something on the show or some kind of theme on the show and somebody will call in and come out of complete, you know, different, a whole different uh, line of, of subject and thinking and stuff and kind of throw you a curveball. And it's tough to kind of get back to where you were going before. So, <laughs> yeah, yes. that's the challenges, I guess. <laughs> For sure. So what do you think? What are your highlights doing doing your show? What are the your highlight experiences? Well, <laughs> there's, a, there's a couple. It's a big, probably a, a can of worms that I've opened there. But <laughs> well, you know, you had mentioned how do you do so much material? Well, you know, there's an old saying, and it's really true. If you find something you love doing, you'll never work a day in your life. And this is something I love doing, so it doesn't feel like. Like I'm grinding away at this. It feels like I'm doing something I love. So every, you know, every day I'm doing it, I'm having a good time with it. What are your highlight experiences doing that, sh- doing your show? Have you had some, ex- somebody call in or, or someone do a show with you and you've just gone, wow, that has just officially blown my mind. I think the fact that, uh, you know, what, what I love most about the shows is talking to people who have had experiences to me. That's exciting. It's fun, and it's 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 interesting um, because you're seeing you're hearing these things uh, firsthand. These are the people that actually went through it, and I always feel a great swell of honor that I I can provide a format or a forum that people are excited to take part in. You know, I mean, to me, that's that's such an honor, and it's such a it feels like such a such a trust that's placed in me. And so I always love when people do reach out and and send in their stories or call in or if they come on as a guest and, you know, that they've chosen, you know, our forum to do it. That to me is really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And you have such a kind, empathetic, warm energy. I'm I'm sure the people calling into your show would feel really comforted by by talking to you. It's like like calling calling up and getting a nice big hug from you. (laughs) (laughs) It tends to keep people more interested when I'm when I'm gentle and kind. You know? <laughs> yeah, true, true. <laughs> <laughs> so after after covering so much mysterious phenomena, what what scares you the most? I mean, you go into all sorts of paranormal things. You go into Bigfoot, uh, Sasquatch. You go into you know ghosts, rakes, other weird creatures, aliens. What what, what scares you the most? In a nutshell, I think anything that involves kids to me it just feels absolutely ter- terrifying. You know, like if if children are being targeted by anything, it, it feels like I just you know I mean, I, and I think everybody's this way. You want to protect children. You you, do, you hate to hear children are being subjected to something horrible or you know things that they couldn't possibly understand. Uh, you know, and they're and they're being made to deal with things that most adults can't deal with. And uh, that to me is hard, but I, I think, well, let's see, you know, I've had several experiences myself and I've got to say that, you know, the haunting stuff that I've experienced myself has, you know, and I'm knocking on wood here, but has never terrified me. It's always been like, oh, you know, I don't know what it is about me, but I, I don't get freaked out by the haunting stuff or haven't been freaked out by it. At least I, I should say that 
I mean, I'm sure it's possible it could be, but, um, you know, I've had many, many experiences with the haunting stuff, but the one time when I was truly terrified is when I think, uh, I'm pretty sure I had a Bigfoot right behind me and it was growling and <clears throat> it was a, it was a horrible experience. And then the story, I'll, I'll try to paraphrase it as much as I can, but good friend of mine, when I was 14 years old, and I also chalked this up as to my first paranormal experience, like the first thing I experienced that I really couldn't explain. Like I never had, uh, you know, lived or experienced hauntings or anything or UFOs or, uh, in my growing up years until I was 14. And my friend and I, where I lived used to butt up to, uh, well, it still does where my, my, my mom lives. Uh, it used to butt up to a, a state park, like a state forest reserve in Minnesota. And he and I, you know, would regularly go up on the bluff behind our house, you know, the hill and climb up and hike through the woodlands and stuff. And, and it was just kind of what we did. We were, you know, rural kids and there wasn't a lot to do. So we spent a lot of time outside, but we're coming down, we're coming back cause it's getting later in the day. And we're, we're going down this, this dry run at the time it was, you know, it's like a spring melt off run where it's a, like a Creek bed, but it's all dried up except for in the spring melt. And so we're going down this and we come to this waterfall area that's all dried up and stuff, but it's like a eight foot drop. And we're, we decided to stop and take a break and we're looking ahead, kind of plotting our course down. And all of a sudden from out of nowhere, right behind me in him is this deep and horrendous growling. And where, where I grew up, the natural fauna was like raccoons, fox, maybe a coyote, but the biggest thing we had was deer and something was behind us that was growling in such a way as I felt it vibrating my body as much as I was hearing it. And it was terrifying because I didn't know what could make that noise. And I didn't know for many, many years after, but whatever was making that noise, I was pretty sure was just about to kill me. And I, and I, I couldn't do anything. Now, I wasn't frozen. Like you hear a lot of people say, I could not move a muscle. I could have. It's just I didn't dare. I didn't dare do anything except stand there. And we both stood next to each other, my friend and I. And finally I said to him, what is that? And he goes, I don't know, but we got to get the hell out of here. <laughs> yes. And, and, you know, the, the, you hear people talk about don't run. Don't run from a Bigfoot it'll, you know, or, or any other creature. It'll, it'll, it'll trigger, it'll trigger their, their prey reflex. But, you know, when you're in a situation like that and whatever's making that noise is going to kill you, or at least you believe that, you got two options, fight or flight. And I always knew whatever made that sound was way out of fight category for me. So <laughs> the only thing left was flight. That was all I had left to do. So we literally just ran down, the, down this hill the rest of the way. How we didn't break our necks doing that, I don't know. But it was the most terrifying thing I'd ever heard in my life. And, and uh, I, you know, again, I had to carry that for so many years because, uh, you know, I've heard about Bigfoot before. But when I heard about Bigfoot way back then, it was, you know, it was something in the Pacific Northwest, not in Minnesota. You know, Minnesota's in the center of the country right under Canada. And, uh, you know, the, the Bigfoot phenomenon that I was aware of was in Washington, Oregon, North California, and into Canada. So that was, I, I had no concept of this. And it wasn't until many years later, as an adult, I started researching the Bigfoot stuff and, and started to understand what are some of the behaviors that are attributed to them? What do they do? What kind of signs do they leave? I went back up into those woods and found many of those, like a structure. Uh, I found tree breaks. 
things that made no sense. And I was like, oh, my God. You know, that was the moment. So that was the my own most frightening experience. Here in Australia, and I'm, I'm pretty sure in the States too, we talk about um, Bigfoot, Yowie, being able to emit something called infrasound that – is that low frequency, ultra low frequency sound that that kind of vibrates your organs and right. your inner ear? Do you do you think that that was part of what was happening it, there, or was it just that loud? It was just that forceful and that deep. Now, could it have been infrasound? Yeah, but when I've heard people explain what they've experienced with infrasound, they talk about being disoriented and not able to use their body well, and they they just seem like they're out of sorts. And I never felt like that. I was just so extraordinarily terrified that all I could do was just, you know, freeze. And then when we decided to run, we ran. And uh, so I don't know uh, either that or (laughs) under some strange, you know, uh, circumstance, I'm not susceptible to it. But then again, neither was my friend. We both ran down. And so, you know, I I don't know. And and did you tell anyone afterwards or you just just kept that inside for for years? (laughs) We we both, as far as I know, never told them. I know I didn't tell anybody because I didn't know what to tell them. You know, it's like there was this deep growling. I think I told my mom and she kind of just brushed it off because, you know, as far you know, she was a native of that area too. And, and as far as we ever knew, there was nothing like that around. I mean, nothing big other than deer. So uh, it's just a very strange set of circumstances. <laughs> that would have had to have been one big deer. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Brent Thomas on Yowie Central on 94.9 Main FM. I discovered that you've actually seen a UFO yourself. Is that right? Yeah, it it was the most incredible experience. It really was incredible. You want to hear about it? I'd love to hear about it. <laughs> okay. So so in this situation, I, I, I've i always been looking at the sky because, like I said, I've always been fascinated with this stuff. But I think because yes. I was listening to you on, I think it was Cade Moyer's podcast the other day. I think that's, oh, yeah, yeah. I think that's where I discovered that little bit, bit of information. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was incredible. It was really incredible. You know, as I was saying, I – I, I spent all my life looking at the sky, and I've always had an absolute open mind and accepted the fact that we're not alone. There's other things out there. It's just I'd never seen anything, and it, it always bothered me because you hear these fantastic reports of people that are seeing these amazing things in the sky. And I desperately wanted to see something, but, you know, unfortunately, I just never had. And it was seven years ago. I was uh, actually, I live in the north tip of Idaho now. But I'm from Minnesota. But at the time of this story, I still lived in Minnesota. But I had to travel out to the north tip of Idaho because the reason I came out here eventually was that a company I worked for at the time is headquartered here. So, you know, I would telecommute from home. But we had some business meetings I had to attend. So I was flown out here to the north of Idaho and uh, got in town. And the owner of the company had bought this this house up in the mountains and uh, – it was uh, – he had just had a whole bunch of work done to it and had made it his home, but they weren't living there yet. He and his wife and, and small child weren't living there yet. So the plan was is that I was going to stay there and then they wouldn't have to give me a hotel room. And so I was like, cool. So I was – you know, I was good with that. So I uh, went through the day's events the first day. I mean, he showed me around and when he, when he was showing me around the place, 
he showed me uh, they, he had these night vision binoculars. And I was like, oh, cool. You know, I thought it'll be kind of fun, you know, to check those out. So when I got back up there late at night, I'm all alone and there's nothing going on around this house. There's some other cabins around, but they're seasonal cabins. And this was mid to late spring. So it wasn't quite uh, time for all the people that had cabins to start hanging out at their cabins. So I was all alone up in this, this mountain valley. And uh, <laughs> I'm up there and I get out the night vision binoculars and I'm like, cool, you know, this will be really fun. Now, the reason I was excited to use them, one, because I love looking at the stars. And I know that most of the stars in our galaxy are red, so you really can't see them with your naked eye. So I was excited to see what that would look like, you know. And so I got out the night vision binoculars. And I went out uh, outside of the house and the, there's a, like a parking area right outside of the house. It's not really a driveway. It's just like this area. And I'm standing out there. Now, the sky is beautiful anyway because there's absolutely no light pollution at all. It's all just starlight coming down. And it's just the night sky all by itself is just brilliant and uh, amazing. There was a little sliver of a moon, so there was a, a bit of moonlight as well. It wasn't a pitch black night. And I was like, oh, cool. So I turned on the night vision binoculars. Now, these are only four power binoculars, so it's not a real high degree of magnification. It's very, very subtle, actually. So uh, I'm looking through these night vision binoculars, and sure enough, the stars are incredible. But there's so many more stars that you can't, you can't understand constellations anymore. Like nothing looks familiar when you look up at the night sky with night vision. It was incredible. So I'm looking around, playing around, and then I start – thinking what else can i see so uh i look now the the way the house was situated is on one side of a valley and down below is this creek or stream and then the other slope goes up on the other side and so i i look over to the other side and i can see all the trees and stuff really clearly with the night vision i'm like wow this is really cool and i'm looking around i'm, I'm like a kid playing with a new toy <laughs> so <laughs> i'm looking all over the place look down I come over to the side that I'm on of the valley, and I look down the driveway, which to my naked eye looks like this black pit. I mean, it's just you can't see up to – you only see to a certain point, and then the, the overhanging trees and stuff just swallow the light. But I got the night vision out, sure enough, I could see all the way down there. So I'm having a good time, and then I, I pan up this – like it's a ponderosa pine or some one of those conifer trees that we have over here. And I get to the top of the tree, and I'm going to look at the stars again. But I get about 30 feet above the tree – and this tree is about 150 yards from me, maybe 100 to 200 yards, right in that range. And I get to the top of the tree, about 30 feet above the tree. No kidding, is is a flying saucer, and it's just sitting there, <laughs> absolutely stationary, absolutely silent. There's not a sound coming from it, but it's flashing all these lights, and and it's it's really kind of wild because when you think of flying saucers, you think of the you know the two pie plates stacked uh, inverse on each other. And, you know, where it comes to a point on the edge. But this didn't come to a point. There was like a gap between the top and the bottom. And in that gap were these little panels, these rectangular panels that were flashing light, you know, around them in a, like a marquee kind of pattern. And I was like, what in the hell? And I'm just stunned because right there it is. There's a flying saucer. And I'm, I'm just beside myself. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm a knower now. I know they're here. I've seen it. I can see it. I'm seeing it. It's real. For sure, you know, and it's quite a it's quite a experience to have a belief, but then to have that proven. I mean, it's just amazing, yeah. and I, I'm blown away. I'm looking at it and looking at it, and then I thought, 
I got to see this with my own eyes. I lower the night vision binoculars, look in that same spot, and there's nothing but stars. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's gone. Raise the night vision binoculars. It's still there. Lower it. It's gone. Raise. It's still there. Lowering. It's gone. And then it dawns on me. Oh, my God. They can cloak. They can hide. Oh, my God. That's so scary. (laughs) Oh, you know, I, I had never heard of that before. Now, I, I have since heard that people made that claim, but I had never heard of that before. So not only did, did flying saucers and aliens become real, also became real was the fact that they could be around us at any time. And unless you have the ability to see them, you won't. And I'm just blown away. So, <laughs> that just makes you makes me look over my shoulder. Uh, um, right. you know. <laughs> there's, there's no sound. At all. So, like, the only thing we would have left is sound. But if there's no sound anyway, it's running silently, and they they can hide from our visible light spectrum, we would have no idea they're around. So this is all just smashing on me now. And and I'm up and down, up and down with the binoculars. I'm just just beside myself with excitement, with, with, like, this dawning information and these revelations. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at them, and then I'm thinking, oh, my God. Like I'm, I'm sitting here looking at them, and I'm about the only thing going on in this whole valley. They're probably up there looking at me, <laughs> and, <laughs> and all of a sudden it became really, really real. And I decided, okay, this is as real as I need it to be now. I don't fancy any probing tonight, so I think I'll, <laughs> I'll just call it a night. And so I, I went in the house and, and locked the doors and paced for hours, peeking out the blinds to make sure no motherships landed or anything like that, but. As far as I know, that was the whole experience, but it was absolutely incredible. So did you see it actually leave? No, I didn't. I, uh, <laughs> it was stationary and just there, and that's where I left it. It was like, nope, 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 nope. Um, because, you know, you hear the stories, Travis Walton. He gets sucked up there and all kinds of craziness happens. So yeah. I was like, no, you know, I don't need that part. I just need to know they're real. <laughs> so. Well, that's what that would have been so terrifying, though. You're there in in this valley by yourself. Uh, yeah. There's no one else around except you. Um, yeah, at, yeah. I'm. I've. I would have been terrified, and you'd be hoping that there was a you know a, a serious lock on the door. I secured every lock I could. <laughs> <laughs> that that blows my mind because, well, I, I've heard quite a few times of Yowies and Bigfoot being able to. Cloak themselves. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. ha- I'm not quite sure how how they do that, but the whole idea, I guess, it brings back that fear of um, what's the movie? Is it Predator, where the the creatures kind of invisible, cl- right there? So that just the thought of something really powerful, way stronger than us, but that can also be right in front of you and you can't see it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just bring <laughs> the hair on the back of my neck, just standing up, just thinking about it. <laughs> right. I, I mean, especially with those now, you know, I experienced the growling, but I didn't, I didn't lay eyes on it. And even now, when I think about things like the Yowie or the, or the Bigfoot Sasquatch, I think, what could that be like? What would that be like? Because I don't think, I, I, I think that's why these experiences are so horribly traumatic is that, People, I don't think you can prepare for seeing something like that, you know, that, that something is eight, nine, ten feet tall and what that would look like and how absolutely helpless do you feel 
in the face of that, knowing it could pound you into into pudding at any moment. Yeah. You know, but <laughs> thank God they don't choose to do that. But I mean, just the knowledge that, you know, they're in control of that situation from the point you see them on, you know. And they can choose when when they want you to see them or not. Which is yes, no. <laughs> which is even scarier, you know. I, I and I wonder, I wonder whether that's are they uh, moving between dimensions? Are they uh, are they chameleons? Are they um, right? Yeah. What 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 is it that in, what enables them to do that? I don't know either, and, and it's something that perplexes me because through the years of doing the show, of course, I've heard those claims from people. And, you know, who am I to say, no, that's not what you saw. You didn't see that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, of course they did. They believe that that's what they saw. And and what if they're right? That is what they saw. So then it's not my place to tell somebody they didn't experience something, you know? Yeah. I've interviewed quite a few people. I, I interview witnesses for Australian Yowie Research. And oh. I, I've interviewed witnesses and heard recordings of Dean's interviews as well, people who report hearing footsteps, seeing bushes being moved apart like something was moving through it, but nothing wow. there. Um, that just really cooks your bacon, doesn't yeah, it? It certainly does. It certainly <laughs> does. Hey, I was just looking, um, I think you might have posted it on the uh, on Paranormal Portal Facebook, um, the DNA, DNA testing on the, the, the tooth from the Salt Fork, Ohio grassman. Yeah, um, yeah. So... That's. I know there's quite a bit of conjecture as to whether it's really a tooth or not, but it was very interesting that they found enamel. In dentin, yeah. Yeah, dentin, which is calcified tissue, you know, tooth mm-hmm. decay. And it's this giant-looking tooth. But, <laughs> but And someone, I did read someone on the internet somewhere suggesting that, oh, no, it looks more like a the, the foot of a of a deer or something like that but no it can't be if they've found enamel dental pulp and and yeah. the person who 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 analyzed it said 97 to 99% human dna but unknown right unknown species yeah, yeah and that seems to correlate with uh, melba ketchum's work which you know she's taken a lot of them on the chin and i you know i don't really have you know, i i have to admit I, I know anything on the internet is you, you've got to take everything with a grain of salt because unless you've done it yourself or can corroborate or, or at least authenticate it, you know, it's hard to know what's real and what's not. I do have people messaging me saying, no, that's, that's fake. And I'm like, well, tell me where, let me know how, how to verify that. Cause I certainly don't want to perpetuate any hoaxes or anything. Yeah. That's, you know, if you hear it on my shows, it's at least represented as truth to my understanding. I will never, ever put anything up that is verified false. Then again, and I don't know how the how the Yowie community is, but over here, there's no matter who you like, there's somebody out there calling them a hoaxer, you know? So it's like this real cutthroat kind of society over here. Yeah. But and so there's always those people, no, that's fake. I heard from blah, blah, blah. And it's, okay, maybe, maybe that's true. And I, I don't have a horse in the game, really. I just... I just want to know uh, which is which. But if it is factual and it does mirror the Melba Ketchum work on her DNA studies, then that's kind of exciting because it's it brings it a little closer to at least having uh, you know scientific substantiation. Yeah. Do you um, are you able to summarize that Dr. Melba Ketchum's study for the Yowie Central listeners? Do you remember enough about it? 
Well, just just the basic details. And basically her findings were about the exact same, like uh, a human mother, but some unknown uh, father was the apparently the findings for her work, you know, but again, unknown. And the problem with it is that there's she apparently wasn't peer reviewed, which many people use that to attack her. And then there's other people that uh, are claiming that she mishandled the, the, the source material. So she probably contaminated it contaminated it with her own DNA and you know unfortunately it's it's a, a real rat's nest of, of possibility but it is uh, according to those people that adhere to it they say that she is really uh, really knows what she's doing and and is very ethical so I don't know yeah I think she's done two there have been a couple of studies that she's done I think they found the sure. same thing you know that that uh, human mitochondrial DNA but then this mysterious other other part from the paternal side, um, right? Yeah, uh, is it? Yeah, are we are we some hybrid alien experiment? <laughs> I, yeah, that's the other thing I've heard. Jack Carey <laughs> from um, Paranormal Intelligence Agency t- has talked about that. I read his book. He's he's fairly convinced that there's there back in time, several millennia <laughs> ago, there was interference from aliens and that we are human beings are the result of that human beings are, are the result of it and so are the the yowie's bigfoot that we find all over the world oh okay that's that bends my mind a little bit but uh yeah and i i i uh i i really like lloyd pye's work uh yes. if if you out there haven't haven't seen or or check that out there's a there's a video on youtube it's lloyd pie everything you know is wrong it's fantastic would, isn't it it's brilliant yeah i i loved his work and and unfortunately he's no longer with us but uh what a brilliant man and what a neat out of the box way to come at it and and i really think he was onto something yeah so he was he actually started that i think that that particular angle uh before jack carey did yeah obviously and i think jack carey's followed on from from Lloyd Pye. But sure. I, I read, yeah, after watching that particular documentary or talk that he does, it's it's mm-hmm. it's very convincing, isn't it? Like it, 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 it is. Yeah. It's like it really makes sense and it really it fills in so many blanks for me because, I mean, all of us always we're looking for this missing link, the missing link, the missing link. And, and it's like, you know, those aren't our ancestors. Those are theirs. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. And we're, we're so, the alien. We're the, the alien. <laughs> that, yeah. We're the, we're the weird part. That's why we're so, so not adapted to live in the wilds here. Um, uh, yeah. I, <laughs> I, that's fascinating. So fascinating. It is really fascinating to think, you know, and it, it makes sense. What an argument is that? I mean, human beings are born absolutely health, helpless. We're the only the only natural naturally occurring species here that's not adapted to life on this planet. Uh, we need we need shelter. We need clothing. We need to be held and carried. We we can't walk right after birth. We can't move. Uh, or, you know, <laughs> it takes us months to figure out what fingers are. You know. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, that's right. So it doesn't. It it kind of it makes sense. But then it then I start to think, well, what? Hang on. What? <laughs> well, what now? So we're. What, what does that mean that that we've been created for a particular purpose? And what purpose yeah. would that be? 
Right. Well, you know, I think it was the, uh, what was it? The, God, there's a book that's Chariot of, Chariots of the Gods or something like that. Deals with the Anunnaki and their quest to to mine for gold and they didn't want to do it. So essentially they tried to get species here to do it, but they couldn't do it. And, and so we are the hybrids created for that purpose to go and mine gold. And it, and it kind of, it kind of has a compelling, a compelling truth to it because I mean, think about it, uh, you know, gold in and of itself, other than a semiconductor is pretty much useless, but we have this uh, amazing fascination and drive to acquire gold. And it's timeless. It's timeless, as old as our societies, that gold has always been treasured. And so it makes you think, was that programmed? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and so, and what's the, now that we've found most of the gold on the planet, well, the stuff that's easily accessible, I mean, we're still mining for it. What's, mm-hmm. what, what's the plan for us after that? Or uh, did they, in you know, were we invented to be, Smart, but not too smart, um, <laughs> and still controllable. I mean, what do we do now? <laughs> well, you know, we just ask Elon Musk. We'll just start. We'll just start going after asteroids next. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brent, look, it's been such a treat to talk to you. Really, really enjoy chatting to you. Oh, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. I, I really love this uh, time getting to know you and uh, to have a chance to meet your listeners. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Oh, thank you. And hopefully, you know, I'd love to. I'd love to have you back on again at some stage in the future if you if you're up for that. We'll just have to work out the time difference. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, now that we know that. Yeah. Now that we know. Now that we know the time difference. <laughs> oh, and I did notice um, Dean Harrison screenshotted. Uh, you and Don wearing our fantastic Australian Yowie Research T-shirts. <laughs> I'm actually wearing yeah. I'm wearing mine right now. <laughs> oh, very cool. Yeah, Gary sent us over a couple. That was yeah. really cool. Yeah. I'll have to awesome. send you a Yowie Central. I'm going to send you a Yowie Central T-shirt or cap now. We can uh, c- compete with the merch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting I'm game for sure. Although I'm not as slick as Cade Moyer. He's he's all over the 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 merch and the website. He's a very clever man. <laughs> He's a clever man for sure. You yeah, know, you got to watch Cade. Yeah, very <laughs> smart guy. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, I'll let you go and get on with your day. Thank you so much for coming on the show, and uh, I'll love to talk to you again sometime in the future. Yeah, just let me know. I'll be here. Brent Thomas of Paranormal Portal. If you've had an encounter with a Yowie or you've seen a ghost or you've had a scary UFO experience or any other weird stuff, get in touch with me via yowiesential at gmail.com or via the Yowie Central Facebook group. Next up, my interview for Australian Yowie Research from the Wollamombie, New South Wales area. Check it out. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'd really love to hear about your experience. So it was back in 1993 in yeah. Wollamombi. Yeah, it was the Wollamombi area. I was living in Armadale at the time with a couple. I'd never tried rabbits before, so we decided to go out to the Wollamumbi area to, to hunt some meat rabbits for dinner. And the mate that I lived with lived in Kempsey, so he knew the back roads to Kempsey. So I think that road from Armadale leads all the way to Ebor is um, the Waterfall Way. And the back road to Kempsey, that area just there is actually, I think, called Chandler. And I would have been in Chandler Gully on Chandler Creek when this sighting happened. So we'd driven out there. It was mid-afternoon. So the idea was we'd hunt till just before dark, hopefully get a couple of rabbits and head home. My mate knew the back road. So he'd pulled off on the side of the road. We got out of the car. I sort of went down into the gully first. And I'm not sure why I got so far ahead of the others. They might have stopped to do something at the time or something like that, but I'd got a bit of ways in front of everybody. And I was trying to walk quietly so that I could spot a rabbit. So the idea was I'd sort of like walk a little bit, stop, then look ahead and then proceed again. We come down into Chandler Gully along that Chandler Creek. I'd just walked past a clump of small bushes and trees on the creek that I actually had to walk around. Otherwise, you're walking next to the creek. And I'd got about five or six metres past the clump of trees and I'd stopped again to look ahead. And I heard behind me like the sound of, um, you know, when someone walks over river rocks, you know, river rock sound. And I've spun around with the gun and right standing in front of me was, when I first laid my eyes on it, I thought it was a was a um, orangutan. It looked straight at me in the face, and then I realised that it wasn't. It would have been about as big as a fridge. I'm nearly six foot tall, and it would have been a bit shorter than me, but it was stooped over. It's looked at me, and then it's heard the other couple coming, looked back at them. They've seen it. With that, it just dropped on all fours, took a few steps first, then onto all fours, and went up the hill and around and out of sight. So the whole sighting probably happened, it was about 10 seconds or so. But it seemed like forever to me. I'm sure it did. I was just in shock. How did it make you feel? Were you frightened? No, I wasn't frightened. I was, when I looked at it, I thought it looked frightened. And I imagine it would have been with me standing there holding a gun. But I had no thought to try and shoot it or anything like that. It just... Didn't enter my mind. I was just too mind blown, stunned at what I was looking at to even think to do it. My mate came running as this happened and he ran after it. It took me a while to sort of get my head together enough to think, oh, I better go too, and ran. But it was just by that time, it was out of sight, it was just gone. 
similar to how a um, you would see a gorilla or a chimp do a all fours charge. You hear this rock clacking sound behind you. Yeah. And you turn around. So how far away was the creature then? It would only have been five metres away. Right, that's like pretty, pretty close. pretty close. Yeah. Like really close. Like I could see it really well. Did it sneak up behind you somehow? Or? No, I'd say it was squatting down or possibly sleeping or something in that clump of bushes next to the creek. I'd walk past and it heard me and got up to take off. And rather than jump across the creek the other way, it had come out my way. So you turn around, this creature was was standing up when you saw it? Yeah, it was standing yeah, up. Standing up. Describe the face for me. Very dark skin. It had really dark, deep-set eyes. It had a slightly conical head. No eye colour, really. It just looked like dark eyes. The whole thing seemed to be the same colour. What about the nose? Uh, I've looked at Gigantopithecus and Australopithecus and mm-hmm. things like that since, and they seem to all like apes. They don't really have nostrils like a human nose, but this nose did, and it, but it was flat. Actually, because I've listened to a few reports since, other people's reports, so I listened to that Strickland State Forest sighting. Well, I couldn't have drawn that face any better than what she did or whoever drew that picture. My only difference was that mine was covered in auburn or red hair, very much like an orangutan, and it would have been especially off the arms and down off the back of its head, off its shoulders and off the bottom of the arms. It would have been six to eight inches or more long, sort of semi-matted to sort of dreaded. And was it covered in hair all over the chest and all the way down? Yeah, it was, but it was lighter on the chest and stomach than it was on the rest of its body. Was the face covered in fur as well or was that clear? No, it was basically hair up to the bottom of the lip. The actual around the face was bare, like, you know, an adult male, we have hair on the top of our lip and up the top of our cheeks. But that was all bare in this, and it was like a dark to sort of shiny grey sort of colour. Did you see any ears? No, I didn't see ears. But it did have long hair coming off the back of its head and down its back. But I can't remember its ears. I can remember its hands being very dark skin, and its feet being dark skin. So you could see the skin on the palm of the hand? Yeah, or more the fingers, yeah, and the palms. Uh But it did have its hands sort of curled. What about the arms? Describe those to me. You know, our arms would come down to sort of just past our hips. Its arms would have come down to its knees, so they're very much like an orangutan or extra long arms. Years later, I've seen in the Australian Geographic or National Geographic a picture of an old orangutan, and it had the very long hair, um, and I didn't realise that they got that long, but the difference was its legs were longer. The Yowie's legs were longer than what you'd see on a chimp or orangutan. Like were the legs long or short in comparison to the torso? Longer. The yeah. arms were very long. Could you see muscle definition? I could a bit, though it was definitely solid. It was big, solid, 
broad across the shoulders. Mm-hmm. How, wide um, do you re- no, how wide do you reckon the shoulders were? Two or three feet. No neck, just the sort of shoulders into a head. Mm-hmm. What was the mouth doing? Was it moving? Did you see teeth? No, i never seen teeth. Its mouth was shut the whole time. You said before that you thought the creature that you saw looked kind of shocked and startled. Yeah, it yeah. looked like it had a fear. It seemed like it was in shock and was in fear of me. What was it doing that gave you that impression? Probably more what happened after. It just because it looked at me, it's heard them coming and they were just coming into sights, looked at them and then just dropped on all fours and took off flat out up the hill. And you said it was really fast. It was. It was going like the wind. My mate was actually in the Army Reserves and he tried to run after it. And, of course, then when I got myself together enough, I continued and it just outran us in out of sight. Was it a, a steep slope? It was pretty steep, like a 45. How high was that bank that it climbed? It would have to be, you know, 50 metres up. It ran at sort of a 45 across rather than straight up, if that makes sense. And imagine the road was up above there somewhere. So it ran towards the road? Yeah. Did you get a feel whether it might have been male or female? No, I didn't, and I've thought about that since. The fact that I didn't see genitalia or anything like that or breasts, I imagine it must have been a male. What about but age? Did you feel it was a younger creature or an older creature? I've thought about that too, and I imagine it, it would be, to me it would have been in its 40s or, or so. I can't really say it was greying up or anything like that, but the length of the hair Things like that, I thought it was older at the time. I just got this thought that it was an older creature. I was only 18 at the time. so Your mate chased it how far? Did it go for a while or did he come back straight away? Well, he went for a little while and I went with him eventually, but we didn't go too far because it was, it was, it was just out of sight. I remember when it took off, you know, when you see it, like those gelada monkeys in the Ethiopian highlands have that wavy, bobby hair when they go, yeah, I can remember seeing its hair just bobbing along with it as it took off. The hair on the top of its head or all over its Yeah, body. and down its back, right. yeah. Did you guys talk about this after it happened or have you talked about it since? Um, I've lost contact with him since. Mm-hmm. At the time, he said to me, you just seen a yeah, why didn't you shoot it? The thing was, I just was that stunned. I couldn't do anything. And I, I, honestly, to this day, I wouldn't shoot it anyway. What did it most resemble to you? It was very close to a chimpanzee, but more human-like. More human-like in the face. Its legs, for example, were more human than orangutan is. And what more human because they were, like, longer? Yeah. Do you still go out? Bush, do you? Do yeah, you... I do. I know some people have been frightened by sightings, and I've listened to some of the Sasquatch sightings as well in America, and they're like, oh, they never want to see it again. I'd do anything to see it again. <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. I just wish I could have captured that whole moment on a GoPro or on a camera or something. 
you know, I've told people since about it, and most people just laugh straight at me face yeah. about it, you know, and yeah. I'm like, well, if I could just show you, you know, and it's not something you can mistake with anything else. You know, people have said, oh, you've probably seen a daggy sheep or something. Well, how can you confuse a sheep or a <laughs> kangaroo or any other animal in the Australian bush with that? Yeah. You just can't. You've turned around and it's standing there in, the, in four or five metres away from you. Here's your friend, yeah. takes a couple of steps, drops down and, and runs. That movement that it was running, you, you said that reminded you of like a gorilla or an orangutan moving on all fours? Yeah. That was the movement up the side? Yeah. Using all four limbs to climb all up the side? All When you guys chased after it, did you have to go up on all fours as well or were you on two legs? No, two legs. Sort of ran on a 45 oh. angle up and across, and so we followed the same way, yeah. the same sort of angle. Prior to that, I wasn't even a sceptic because I, I'd never really heard of them, and they'd never entered my mind that anything like that was out there until it was standing right in front of me. I did have a mate years later. When I moved to Brisbane, I started doing seismic for coal, gas and oil, and one of the blokes that was training me up a couple of years before I'd started, because we were working up in North Queensland, and on the approach into Carnarvon Gorge, there's, a, there's native Cypress stripper country runs through there. And one night driving, he's seen the same thing run across the road in front of him. And he used to tell the blokes at work about it, everyone laughed at him. Well, I was the only one that knew exactly what he was talking about. Thank you so much for reaching out and sharing that information. Every sighting is important. Every bit of documentation we get is really important. So I appreciate you sharing your story. No worries. And thanks to you and Dean and everybody else that's come forward, gave me the courage to do the same thing. Australian Yowie Research witness interview from the Wollamombi, New South Wales area. And that is all we've got time for this week, folks. Yowie Central will be back next week, same time, same place. On 94.9 Main FM. I'll catch you next week. Out in the cold, out in the dark, something's lurking at the edge of the park. People be warned, people beware, there's a storm on the rise and it's covered in hair. Hear him cry, hear him howl, looking for someone to disembowel. Claws like a hook, eyes like coal, feet so big they're gonna crush your soul. They call him Sasquatch.
might be rich, you pretty young thing Better hide the glint of your diamond ring Your fancy jacket won't be worth a dime When you're sucking the blood right out of your spine Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.